and welcome to Come Follow Me with Bree, episode 184, Ministry Continues. Hello, I'm so glad you're here. Well, anybody who has been a longtime listener, probably you won't remember this, but last year I recorded an episode at my parents' house in Wyoming, and the whole house when my family comes is filled to the brim. We're really trying to fit more people in a pretty small house than should fit. And last year, I recorded out in my parents' garage with a blanket over my head because that helps make the sound not so um, harsh. But this year, I'm so excited because both of my sisters had new babies. And so I got kicked out into one of the rooms that's in the garage that's more like my dad's man cave. And it is the best room in the house. And so now I actually have a place where I can go that's not connected to the house and the kids aren't screaming and noisy and I don't have to sit in my parents' garage with a blanket over my head. So I'm here in this comfy man cave and I have a perfect place to record. The window is open, so you might hear crickets or birds or something, but it gets a little stuffy if I close it. So I'm going to leave it open and just trust that you also enjoy the sound of nature. Okay, can you believe it? We are out of the Gospels. We spent six, almost, well, yeah, six months in the Gospels. And so now we're going to go through the rest of the New Testament, which is page page number-wise much larger than the four Gospels. But we're going to go through that second half of the New Testament this second half of the year. And I am very excited because I would say I'm very familiar with the first four Gospels, but I am less familiar with the last half. Like I sometimes introduce this podcast by saying, I am not an expert. I am just like you. All I do is study and then just talk about whatever inspires me. I'm not somebody who already knows all of these things, which is one of the reasons that I do this because I want my children growing up and I want all of you to have confidence in yourselves knowing that in order to talk about the scriptures, in order to bear testimony of Jesus Christ, you do not have to be an expert. And we see that testified to in so many places in the scriptures where the Holy Ghost and the Savior will put into your heart things that you need to say or things you need to bear testimony of, and he will qualify you. You don't need to qualify you. He will. And that applies in all kinds of situations. It doesn't just apply to you being a teacher and you doing a podcast like me. It just applies to, I would say the most common way it applies is just to bearing your testimony and answering questions of the questions of people around you. You don't need any special qualification, only your testimony of Jesus Christ and the presence, the the accompaniment of the Holy Spirit. All right. Because I am less familiar with this second part of the New Testament, I think what I'm going to talk about today is just go through some of my thoughts about some of the things that we're we're reading in the stories. I don't think I'm going to focus on any one thing because it was fun for me just to review what happened in these first five chapters of the Acts of the Apostles is what the book is actually called. Now, the book of Acts is interesting as it starts out because it appears to be a letter written by Luke is the one who we think wrote the the book of Acts, entitles it to somebody named O. Theophilus. I don't even know if I'm saying that right. 
But I I found out that that word can actually mean it actually the interpretation of it is friend of God. So maybe this Theophilus was a real person, or maybe Luke knew that that's what Theophilus meant, and he is entitling it to anyone who's reading who is a friend of God. And so think of Theophilus as you. You are a friend of God. The reason that I entitled this episode Ministry Continues is because it's it's so cool to see how Christ Christ dies, he physically leaves them during this first chapter. But then the ministry continues. It wasn't messed up at all by the death of Jesus Christ. This is how it was supposed to be. Ministry continues and it continues today. And you know what? I I know that in my brain when I say that I'm like, but then there was the apostasy and it stopped. And it is true that priesthood authority was lost on the earth and much much was lost and then needed to be restored. But Christianity was never gone. Jesus Christ, the name of Jesus Christ on people's lips was never gone. His ministry still continued even during the apostasy. And you know what came to mind right as I said that? By small and simple things, great things come to pass. And although Jesus Christ's life and all of the things he accomplished were great, incredibly great, unimaginably great, it was also the life of a mortal man. Really something that you could call, I mean, I don't think any one of us would think that a single human life is insignificant, but when you compare the numbers of human lives that have existed, Think about the impact that this one single human life made on the earth and continues to make in our lives today. And clearly the life of Jesus Christ made an enormous impact on the lives, the mortal lives of his followers, his disciples. And once they understood better what had happened, even though they were there to witness it, it kind of took them a while to figure out what had really happened. Once they figured that out, it spurred them into action. And that, I think, makes the title of the Acts of the Apostles so perfect because once they they understood what their mission was and what had really happened and what they had, had witnessed, they went on to act, to go and do. I was reading last week in Luke 24 when the the women came back from the empty tomb to tell the disciples, and it says in Luke 24, verse 11, and their words seemed to them as idle tales, and they believed them not. And in the Gospels, the only people that we have account of anyway, I don't know, maybe some of the other apostles did this, but we have Peter and John that ran to the to the tomb and saw that it was empty. But the rest of them, it says after that, that they they just returned to their own homes. So they were a little without action. They weren't really doing much. They were just sitting there feeling sorry for themselves, feeling sad about the Savior, you know, justifiably so, of course, but not really doing a whole lot at that point. But then the Savior says that he will meet them and that he, they are going to see them. And then they see the Savior and they're taught by the Savior. It says here in the first chapter of Acts for 40 days. It says, starting in verse two, until the day in which he was taken up after that, He, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. I love, I've, you know that movie, The Passion of the Christ? 
I think I've never really, I haven't thought about it a whole lot, but I never really understood the, the wording, the passion of the Christ. But the word passion is how we as Latter-day Saints would say the atonement. And I think it's really cool to think of it as his passion. To think of the Garden of Gethsemane and the cross on Calvary as the the showing, the demonstration of Jesus Christ's passion for us, his passion for our salvation. So I love that word of using the word Christ's passion instead of Christ's atonement. Not that we shouldn't use that word too, because I think that's a great word too, but I just I just love that word. And it also says, by many infallible proofs. And of course, the apostles witnessed Jesus Christ on the earth performing miracles and then raising from the dead. And then in those 40 days where he taught them and helped them better understand so that they could then move forward with his church, I wonder how many infallible proofs they witnessed where they just had this testimony that they could not have witnessed the things that they witnessed and have it not all be true. But you know what I think is really cool is that we are given the same promise. Now, at least at the moment, we don't get to see Christ personally like they did. We don't get to see grand miracles of of him raising from the dead. However, sometimes I kind of try to put myself in check when I want those things, which I still do. I want those things. I think that would be really amazing to get to see those things in person. But sometimes I think I, I doubt, or I don't quite have the amount of faith warranted in the gift of the Holy ghost and in the testifying power of the Holy ghost in first Nephi chapter 10 verses 17 through 19, it says, and it came to pass that after I Nephi having heard all the words of my father concerning the things which he saw in a vision and also the things by which he spake by the power of the Holy Ghost, which power he received by faith and on the son of God and the son of God was the Messiah who should come. I Nephi was desirous that I might see and hear and know of these things by the power of the Holy Ghost, which is the gift of God unto all those who diligently seek him as well in times of old as in the time that he should manifest himself unto the children of men. For he is the same yesterday and today and forever, and the way is prepared for all men from the foundation of the world, if it so be that they repent and come unto him. For he that diligently seeketh shall find, and the mysteries of God shall be unfolded unto them by the power of the Holy Ghost, as well in these times as in times of old, and as well in times of old as in times to come. Wherefore, the course of the Lord is one eternal round. I am somebody who sometimes doing better than others, but is diligently seeking the mysteries of God. And I believe that I don't need to see grand miracles or Jesus Christ right in front of me right now. I believe that this gift of the Holy Ghost is sufficient because he has told me that the Holy Ghost is sufficient, that he is the testifier of truth, and that that witness from the Holy Ghost is just as powerful as me seeing it in person. I have faith that that's true. I'm still working on it, but I do have faith that that is true. Now, we don't know much about what went on in that 40 days, but we do know that Christ promised them power. It says in verse 8 of chapter 1 of Acts, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria unto the uttermost part of the earth. 
And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. As one of these apostles, do you think it was hard to watch the Savior leave? They were being put in charge of the church and being promised power of the Holy Ghost. Now, it probably maybe is easier to have Jesus right in front of you to believe in that power, to be like, okay, yeah, he's sending me the Holy Ghost. I'm going to be all fine. I don't need him right here because he said that I can do it. But do you think it was hard to watch him go? I, at least that's the feeling that comes over me. I would want him to stay and be like, ah, I don't, can I do this? I don't really know if I can do this. And they were still human. And so I bet there were times that they felt that way, but the savior promised them the gift of the Holy ghost and that that is how they would receive their power. Now, something that I, I think is really applicable to us is that we are kind of in the same space that these apostles are in. We have the restored church on the earth. We do not have Jesus Christ right here with us. Hopefully I want him to come soon as possible, but we don't have him here with us right now, but we have been promised power through the gift of the Holy Ghost. As you fight through whatever battles you're fighting through in life, whether that be in your own individual family or just living in our world in general, do you have faith that that power of the Holy Ghost is sufficient? That that power is real and really gives you the power of Jesus Christ. And do we use that power to then be witnesses as they were commanded? Be witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. I love the internet. It is so incredible. It's such an incredible fulfillment of prophecy to see how this prophecy has come into action. Could the apostles have even imagined, even comprehended how the gospel would spread to the uttermost part of the earth? That is the power of Jesus Christ. That is not the power of man. Jesus Christ knew about the internet. He knew that we would be able to communicate with the uttermost parts of the earth. And I love this next part. If we go, so Christ is taken up and we go to verse 10. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, Behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. So they're looking up, trying to see Jesus as long as possible as he's being taken taken up. And they say, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. So it's kind of like they're saying, why are you still looking up in heaven? He's going to come back go get to work. It says, then they returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey. And when they were come in, they went up into an upper room where abode both Peter, James, and John, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon Zelotes, and Judas, the brother of James. And all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. So they all leap, one heart, one mind. They go in prayer and looking for that power of the Holy Ghost that they had been promised and so that they can know which direction to go. And the next thing that it talks about, they do, they talk about Judas a little bit, but then they talk about the need to fill his space, that there needs to be another apostle called. They appoint two as options. One, I'm just going to call him Justice because he has a longer name that we don't need to know about, but Justice and Matthias. 
And they prayed and said, Thou, Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, shew whether of these two thou hast chosen. So with a prayer and with the power of the Holy Ghost, they decided upon Matthias. So we now have a new apostle named Matthias. All right. So chapter two then talks about the day of Pentecost. And Pentecost is not actually a Jewish word. They wouldn't have called it the day of Pentecost. They would have called it the Feast of Harvest or Feast of Weeks, and it was a celebration of the beginning of harvest. So they're all gathered together for this, the saints are, and something amazing happens, starting in verse 2 of chapter 2. And suddenly there came a sound from heavens as of rushing mighty wind, and it filled the house all where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. So they're all gathered together. Lots of them speak different languages. And all of a sudden, they start to speak in different tongues. Verse 6. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? And then it lists out all the many countries and and areas that people came from. Verse 12, And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? Others mocking said, These men are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken unto my words. For these are not drunken, as ye supposed, seeing it's but the third hour of the day. So I think that's kind of a funny part. He's like, it's early in the day, we're not drunk. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And now he quotes Joel, And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens, I will pour out those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will shew wonders in heavens above, and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood, before that great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So Peter's standing up and bearing testimony that miracles are real. These aren't just crazy things that are happening to crazy people who are doing crazy things. And it's interesting to think that some people would think that they would see a miracle and think that it's not a miracle, that it's some form of trickery or drunkenness. And it makes me wonder if I see a miracle, is that going to be me? Am I going to be somebody who sees the miracle for what it is? Or am I going to wonder if it's some form of trickery? Think about, I mean, we, I have not read anything anywhere that says this will happen, but right now when the prophet broadcasts all over the world, when we have general conference, we have translators, right? It, it's not the, by the gift of tongues that every person who hears the prophet is able to understand. But what if at some point we're not able to do that? What if we don't have all of the access to all the translators to do it within our own power? That could happen, Right. Jesus Christ has all power. Of course, that could happen. So as we get closer to the Lord's second coming, are we going to see miracles for what they are? Because people who don't believe, they're not going to. They are not going to see them for what they are. So I think something that is that is my goal in my heart all the time 
is that I am in tune enough with the spirit and I have enough faith to believe that miracles come from God. Now, really quick, I want to comment on that last thing that we read. It says, and it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, I think that in a lot of Christian communities, that's misinterpreted, that they just think that they can call upon the name of Jesus, that they can claim the Lord as their Lord and Savior, and that they're good. But what does calling on the name of the Lord really mean? It means calling upon him for forgiveness, for repentance, and that it's a continual process. And as we do that, as we make that a part of our lives, we shall be saved. Peter then bears a powerful testimony of the Savior. And after they all heard everything he had to say, which you should go read it, it says in verse 37, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and the rest of the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? When you feel pricked in the heart to the very center, that's the question we should be asking. What shall we do? Is it enough for me to just sit here and believe? No, I need to go and do. And that's what the apostles and the followers of Jesus Christ did. Peter's answer was, Repent and be baptized, every one, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off. That's you. You are somebody who is afar off. Even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words he did testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them three thousand souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things in common. So after this point, we get this community that starts to live the law of consecration. They were of one heart and of one mind. What kind of hearts does it take to live the law of consecration? The main thing that it comes down to in my mind is the complete recognition that the things of this world don't matter. That Christ can provide for us what we need and we are then able to have complete focus on what actually matters. Now, of course, that's harder in practice than just saying that, but I think it's just amazing to think about what it must have felt like to be in this community where things didn't matter. Verse 44, and all that believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. Now see there that it doesn't say that um, they didn't still need things. It said, as every man had need. So obviously we live here on the earth. We have physical bodies. We still need things. But I think that it's the the recognition that it's not actually what is important. Verse 46, and they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. There it is, singleness of heart, knowing what is important praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily as such should be saved. Okay, let's move on to chapter three. And we're just going to very quickly go through chapter three because I want to make sure I get to chapter five because it's my favorite. So in chapter three, 
Peter and John heal a lame man. It says, starting in verse two, and a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Bountiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple, who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple asked an alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, look on us. And he gave heed on them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took them by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the bountiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. And as the lame man, which had been healed, held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly wondering. And when Peter saw it, I love this answer, he answered unto the people, saying, Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this, or why look ye so earnestly on us, as though by our own power or holiness we had made this man to walk? The God of Abraham, and of Isaac, and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified his son Jesus, whom ye had delivered up, and denied him in the presence of Pilate, when he was determined to let him go. But ye denied the Holy One, and the just, and desired a murderer to be granted unto you, and killed the Prince of Life, whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, hath made this man strong." whom ye see and know, yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. And now, brethren, I want that through ignorance he did this. So he says, I know that you guys didn't realize what you were doing when you crucified the Savior, as did also your rulers. But those things which God before hath shewed by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ should suffer, he hath so fulfilled. Okay, so Peter continues. He continues to bear testimony of Jesus Christ. He talks about the restoration of all things. And he reminds them that they are the children of the prophets and of the covenant and that he, God, sent Jesus Christ as a gift to them so that we can all turn away from our iniquities. Okay, so basically we read pretty much all of Acts chapter 3, but it's necessary to know that story to understand what is happening next. So in chapter 4, the Sadducees get upset because they're preaching about Jesus Christ and riling the people up. But they're also a little bit of a, at a loss what to do because they all knew this man that was lame. And they all knew that now he's leaping around the temple and that they actually did this miracle. And so they ask them after they, they take them, they say, by what power or by what name have ye done this? And then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the, of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which is become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So he's being really bold here. He's in trouble with the Sadducees here, and he is bearing a bold testimony of Jesus Christ, unashamed. And think about the transformation that Peter has gone through in this relatively short amount of time. 
he went from denying Jesus as Jesus was being arrested and and crucified, denying Jesus three times, to now being in trouble, being the center of attention, and he is boldly claiming the Savior. Not just that he knew him and was friends with him, but claiming the Savior as the only way he can be saved, and anyone who can hear his voice can be saved. Verse 13, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled, and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And beholding the man which was healed standing by them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For that indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them is manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But that it spread no further among the people, let us straightly threaten them that they speak henceforth to no man in his name. Okay, this is one of my favorite parts. And they called them and commanded them to speak not at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. What a great question to ask ourselves. Are we living our lives in fear of men? because? People don't want us to wear religion on our sleeves, wear Jesus Christ on our sleeve. They want us to not talk or preach of Christ. Do we fear those men or do we fear God? They're asking a rhetorical question here. What a foolish way to answer if you're saying that you should fear men over God. Of course, it's more important to do what God would have you do. Verse 20. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So they had to let them go because they couldn't find anything that they should punish them for because they feared the people. Because everyone knew this lame man and that it only could have been done by God. So the apostles go back to their their people, their congregation, and, and told them everything that had just happened. And the people start praising God. Verse 24, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord saying, Lord, thou art God, which hath made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is, who by the mouth of thy servant David hath said, why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? And the kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth against the holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, With the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thine hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken, that they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they spake the word of God with boldness. Is that the key there? That we all need to be filled with the Holy Ghost. And that gives us the courage to speak with boldness, not with self-righteousness, not with unkindness, not with contention, but with boldness. The world would like to make you think that your boldness is not righteous. Boldness is righteous as long as we are doing it with the Spirit of the Holy Ghost and with charity and love in our hearts. Plenty of prophets speak with boldness and get an angry response. The angry response does not make their boldness unrighteous. 
verse 32, and the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul, neither said any of them that ought of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. I love that that added part. Great grace was upon them all. The atoning power of Jesus Christ granted them grace, allowing them to not be perfect, but made up for that imperfection. Doesn't it make this this goal of being of one heart and one mind, of being Zion more attainable? We don't have to be perfect. Grace can make up for that. Okay, so chapter five. The first part of this chapter talks about a couple who conspired to lie to the apostles and therefore the Lord by keeping back some of their money and still trying to take part in the Zion community. And then as they're both found out, they both just spontaneously die. I'm not going to put too much thought into that. And I actually don't totally know exactly what to think about that. Um, But that's the first part of this chapter. But it was one of the signs and wonders that uh, the church in general observed. And it was one of those, those things that was bearing testimony of the truth of the work. This chapter also talks about all of the the sick that were brought to the apostles so that they could be healed. And they were, it says they were healed everyone, not just sick, but people with unclean spirits and I'm sure all kinds of different um, problems that they healed. And this, of course, as the pattern goes, made the, the high priest, the Sadducees, really mad. And they were filled with it says indignation. They were super mad and they cast them into the common prison. And then it says, verse 19, but the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth and said, go stand and speak in the temple to all the people, the words of this life. And when they heard that they entered into the temple early in the morning and taught. So they're there in the temple teaching and the high priest came and they're getting a council together and they send the guards to go get them and the guards go to the prison and they're like they're not there like the guards are still there everyone else in the prison is still there it looks completely undisturbed but they are not there we don't know where they are but then another guard comes and says behold the men whom ye put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people so they went and collected them again And it says they brought them without violence, for they feared the people. And when they brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not straightly command you that ye should not teach in this name? And behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. So he's saying, You're blaming us for Jesus' death, and you're teaching the people to believe in his doctrine. And I love Peter's response to this. It's basically kind of the same thing he said before. He said, we ought to obey God rather than men. Basically saying, we're only obeying God. We don't actually really care what you say. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom he slew and hanged on a tree. So he's confirming, as they just accused him of of saying that Jesus's blood, his death was their fault. He's saying, yep. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom ye slew and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses of these things. And so also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey him. And when they heard that, they were cut to the heart and took counsel to slay them. So here again, we have an example of boldness and 
they were cut to the heart, which actually the word cut has a cross reference to first Nephi chapter 16 two. And it came to pass that I said unto them that I knew that I had spoken hard things against the wicked according to the truth and the righteous have I justified and testified that they should be lifted up at the last day. Wherefore the guilty taketh the truth to be hard for it cutteth them to the very center. So they're very angry and they're ready to have them killed. And one of the Pharisees, it says named Gamaliel, he had the apostles go a little bit farther away so he could talk to these high priests themselves. And he says, ye men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what ye intend to do as to touching these men. And then he gives a couple of examples of other preachers who had risen up and, and gotten a following. But then these men ended up getting killed and their following dispersed and it nothing happened. And so basically he's saying, you probably don't really need to do anything. These things tend to fizzle out. But then he continues, he says, Refrain from these men and let them alone. For if this counsel or this work be of men, it will come to naught. So he says, if it's just them doing things of themselves, it, nothing's going to happen. It's just going to fizzle out. But if it be of God, ye cannot overthrow it, lest haply ye be found even to fight against God. Isn't that cool that this this Pharisee had wisdom to be to be like I don't I don't really know what's up with these guys but they appear to have some sort of power and who knows maybe they really are from God and you guys probably shouldn't fight against God and if it's just them being them then it's going to fizzle out anyway verse 40 and to him they agreed and when they had called the apostles and beaten them ugh, unfortunate they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go so instead of killing them, they just beat them up and let them go. And this is my favorite part. And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. That is the kind of bravery we need to pray for. Of course, there are a lot of differences between the time that we live in now and the time that they lived in back then, just politically and the the kind of atmosphere is obviously different. And if we if you live here in America, we are still allowed to say, in general, what we believe. But I think that we have all felt the social, cultural, political pressure of silence, of being silenced, where it is unpopular to say what we believe and to say it without shame and with boldness. Now, we, of course, should not be going for contention. In fact, that's one of the main themes of our last conference is that we need to be peacemakers. We need to avoid contention. But that does not mean that we stop proclaiming the gospel of peace, that we stop saying the name of Jesus Christ, that we start sugarcoating what he actually said, what his prophets say in order to be more popular with our friends and our family and our neighbors. I can't say I'm ever happy when someone is upset with me for wearing the gospel on my sleeve, for not being ashamed of its doctrine. However, I hope that I can have this same spirit that they had, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. I hope that as long as I have charity, have have kindness, have the love of Jesus Christ in my heart, and I am speaking the words of Jesus Christ and of the gospel and as of modern day prophets, as I do that with a pure heart, 
that I will never take that shame, that that ridicule or or the anger that some people might feel as a sign that I am not doing what I am supposed to be doing. Christians from the beginning have been suffering persecution and shame for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I hope for yourself that that you cannot shy away from bearing that testimony, from wearing the gospel on your on your sleeve just because it's not popular. For me, I am honored to be counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. The ministry of Jesus Christ continues. It did not end when the apostles watched Jesus Christ ascend into heaven. And as we get closer to the second coming of Jesus Christ, I do not want to be a follower who is only a follower in my mind and my heart, but not in deed. I do not want an angel to be able to come up to me and say, why stand ye gazing into heaven? That is not what we are meant to do. We are meant to go and do. We can't just sit here passively watching for the Savior to come again. We need to get to work, bear our testimony, and be not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.